We're starting a new series this morning. It's going to be a three-part series. It's titled, We Are the Church. We Are the Church. And uh, preaching about the church, teaching about the church is really one of my favorite things to do. I love to teach and preach about the church because I love the church. I love this church, Solid Rock Church, and I love the Big C Church, the, the Universal Church, the church all over the world. And so I'm excited to preach this series titled, We Are the Church. And I hope that since you're here for the, the ground floor of this brief series, you'll, you'll continue to join us the next couple of weeks as we go through this series. And I want to I start this morning, I want to start this series talking about God's plan for a healthy church. God's plan for a healthy church. The first part of this week, I was at a conference in Dallas. And this conference was put on by the Church Multiplication Network, uh, CMN. CMN is the uh, church planting arm of the Assemblies of God. And so they have a goal of planting healthy, spirit-filled churches in every community in the country. In every community in the country, that's, that's quite a, a lofty goal, but that's their goal, to plant healthy churches, spirit-filled churches in every community in the country. And their, their goal also includes strategically equipping and funding church leaders and church plants uh, in these new faith communities. So it was a great conference. We were there Monday night, started Monday night, ended Wednesday at noon. It was a wonderful conference, a wonderful Bible-based, spirit-filled preaching. We had some breakout sessions with some, some great uh, information by, by church planners, people who have been there who are learning uh, and, and continue to, to learn and, and train others. So it was a, it was a great conference. And uh, I had a chance to meet several young pastors from all over the, the country. These were pastors from all over the country. And to meet them and their wives and in some cases their children and to learn their stories of the churches they're planting. And I have to tell you that I was very impressed with uh, the dedication and the devotion that these young pastors and, and their wives have for God and for the communities where they're planting their, their churches. And I'm just as impressed by the commitment of the Church Multiplication Network, the GMN, to equip and to fund these church planters. In fact, we saw firsthand at the first service Monday night just how committed they are to their mission. They they featured via video, they featured several church planters all over the world. And one of the, the church planters they featured is from, um, well, he's from Texas. Actually, he's originally from Kansas City, but he came to Texas. And now he's in New York City. He's in Manhattan planting a church in the upper, uh, on the upper west side of Manhattan. And I had a chance to meet this young man, uh, a few years ago, when Ryan went up to live in New York for about half a year. Actually, Ryan was there for a, a summer the previous year. And then when he graduated from college, because he was interning that summer, when he graduated from college, he moved up for, for about half a year. And uh, so when he was there the first time, uh, and uh, he met this young pastor. I believe it was the first time. It might have been the second time. But at any rate, he met this young pastor. And his name is Stephen Paramala, who is, who is planting this church in Manhattan. And uh, so I had a chance to meet him as well. Ryan was able to work with them, really pre-plant. They weren't even having regular services every week. They would have monthly services. They'd go out and do some uh, street 
evangelism, and Ryan went on and did some of that with him. And, and so I was glad that Ryan got plugged in at a church, and specifically at this new church plant. So Stephen Paramala and his wife and his children were at this conference Monday, and they shared the story. And I heard the story from, from Stephen uh, personally the, the night that I met him. Ryan and I had gone to go eat with him, and he, he shared this story with me. So he shared this story via video that we saw Monday night at the CMN conference about how right as he was kicking off, they were getting ready to, to plant this church, he was diagnosed with cancer. And they showed some of the very sad images of cancer. You know what I'm talking about, people. Some of the, some of the physical things they go through when they're going through treatment. And, and, but he said something in this video. He said uh, that he determined that cancer was not going to determine the timing of his church plan. He was going to continue to, to obey God, continue to do what God had called him to do. So it was a very emotional video. I, and I had already seen him before the service. I had greeted him. I chased him down when I saw him. And uh, greeted him. And, and so we saw this video during the service. And it was very emotional. There were some tears. And then when the lights went back on. There he was on the stage with his family and his two children. And so the, the, the director of, of CMN. Uh, his name is uh, Dr. Chris Rayleigh. Was, was there. He was actually preaching that sermon that night. So he introduced them and told more of the story. And then he invited the CMN leadership team. And the Assemblies of God executive leadership team to go up. And to, to stand behind them and to lay hands on them and to pray for them. And that was very powerful, very emotional. And then after the prayer, Dr. Rayleigh said, uh, we, we have a special gift to the Paramalas. And uh, we've agreed that, you know, that we want to do this so on behalf of CMN. They gave them a check for $30,000 toward their church plant. And, of course, they were both just crying. And uh, the children are just, just beautiful children, just taking it all in. And, and, uh, and then he said, and here's another check for $1,000. This is personal for you and your wife to, to enjoy. So that was very moving to see that and to see the commitment of the Assemblies of God and of the Church Multiplication Network to, um, to equip and to fund church planters and the, the churches that they are planting. And so it was a wonderful a convince, uh, conference, rather, for me, because, as I said, I love the church, and I love to see what God is doing all over our country and really all over the world. And so I, I want to talk to you about what God's plan is for a healthy church, and I, I want to begin this series going to Romans 12, beginning with verse 3. I want to uh, read this, and just follow along in your Bibles as I read Romans twelve three, the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I appreciate the stories I was just telling you. I appreciate the Assemblies of God and, and CMN having their goal to plant healthy churches. 
Because we don't need unhealthy churches. We need healthy churches. And that's a focus of our, of our fellowship. In fact, um, one of the, you know how the, it is with these conferences. You pick up a lot of freebies. I got a lot of pens and, and such. And uh, one of the pens came from the, uh, our, our, our fellowship's uh, publishing house, which is called My Healthy Church. And so I have a pen that says My Healthy Church, and the website is MyHealthyChurch.com. And I think it's a great way to focus on what our goal is, to have healthy churches. Not, that the, not just the new churches, uh, the ones that are being planted, but even established churches like, uh, like ours. We want them to be healthy, because we need healthy, not unhealthy churches. How many of you agree with me on that? We need healthy churches. And I think that this passage we read can teach us how we can have a healthy church. Now, I don't want to suggest that Romans 12, 3 through 8 has everything that God has in mind for building a healthy church. It doesn't. There are other passages in which Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for example, in 1 Corinthians, that also speak about how we can have a healthy church. And so it would take more time than we have to develop all the scriptures and to read all the scriptures that we're going to read today. But certainly, I believe in this passage are found some principles that I believe are essentially or are absolutely essential, I should say, for a healthy church, for a healthy local body of Christ. And so there are many other principles we can we can learn from Scripture. But if we don't have these we're going to talk about today, I believe we won't have a healthy church. And I say to you again, I love the church. All my life has been associated with the church. And I realize that that we don't all come from the same background. Some of you may not have the same feeling for the church as I do. I know some people, when they hear the word church, they think of a building. That the church is more than just a building. The church is a people. Some people, when they, they hear the word church, they think of a denomination. Or maybe, sadly, they think of, of a, a, a painful experience that they might have had at one time or another at, at a church, at a local church. Because there are unhealthy churches. But when I think of the church, I think I think of people who really love God and who love one another and who love the lost enough to try to reach them. Now, the actual meaning of the word church, you may know this in the in the Greek New Testament is a combination of two Greek words. One means out of and the other one means to call. So literally churches uh, called out ones. The called out ones, those who have been called out. The church has been called out of the world. It's like God has touched our shoulder and said, okay, you, I'm calling you out. There's not a single one of us that God didn't, didn't call, that God didn't want. Those of us that are a part of the church. There's not a single one of us that God didn't want. There's not any one of us that God said to the angels, you know, I'm kind of 50-50 on this person. I don't know if I should call them. You think I should give them an invitation? No, I, we're, we're all called. God has called all of us. We're chosen of God, called out of the world to save Christ. And uh, I don't know about you, but I like to be chosen. I like to be a called out one. I like to be chosen by God and we're called by God. So we, we're going to learn that we're not only called by God to him, but we're called by God to one another. And I've shared, with you, uh, I've shared this with you from time to time that uh, oftentimes we say we're going to come to church. We're going to come into God's presence. And I believe we certainly do that. But God's presence is everywhere. We can find God everywhere. And so I don't think it's so much that 
we're coming to be in God's presence. It is that. But I think we're coming to be in God's presence as well as in each other's presence. To come and worship together. Because we're called to God, but we're also called to one another. And I think that one of the dangers of the, of the modern church is the, um, the belief that salvation is only an individual matter. It's just between me and, and God. And nobody else can tell me anything about this. There was a... Uh, a Christian song many years ago by Pat Boone. So we're going way back. This is, I want to say, in the 70s. And the song was called Me and Jesus. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. Me and Jesus. Uh, I forget what the rest of the lyrics were. I didn't look it up. But it was all about me and Jesus. And I don't know that he intended it to be, you know, like just an individual experience outside uh, the, the church. Uh, I don't know that it, he meant that. But some people could certainly interpret it that way. Salvation is just between me and God. And we fail to realize, we believe that, that the Bible teaches a view of salvation that is both personal, but it's also corporate. Because God is at work building a community in the world. And it's through that community of family and church that God is wanting His glory to shine out to others. Uh, In fact, when Jesus was calling his, His disciples, He didn't call just one person or he didn't call first just one person can you imagine if he had just called one person first if he had just singled out one person can you imagine the ego that person would have had that man would have had well he called me first before he called any of you but on that first day he called two brothers to follow him and then then later when he called for example matthew the tax collector matthew couldn't say to the lord uh, well, Jesus, I, I sure want to follow you. I think you're the greatest, but I don't, I don't like those guys you've got with you because they, they hassled me at my tax collector's booth or whatever the case may be. He couldn't say, well, Jesus, I just don't like them. And so uh, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to stay at home and follow you from home. I can watch you on TV or Facebook. It's the same. No, it's not the same. And, and if you're watching on Facebook, we're glad that you are. If you can't make it, that's great. But what we're talking about is that we're called to get involved in a live church, the living church, where different people, where people are different from you and different people can compliment you and, and encourage you and, and sometimes even contradict you, sometimes even rebuke you. This is healthy. This is a church. This is a community that God is building all over the world and He's building here at Solid Rock. And so God is calling us out of isolation to one another. John Wesley once wrote a a man who had uh, asked him about salvation. And John Wesley responded to him. And he said that, sir, you wish to serve God and go to heaven? Remember, you cannot serve him alone. You must therefore find companions or make them. And then I love this line that he used. The Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. And so... Unfortunately, there are always people who, who feel more like, have you heard that, that saying that, that goes like this? To dwell above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. And so there are people who just think like, you know, well, I'm just going to wait until heaven and it's going to be great. No, here it can be great because we are called to God and to one another. So in our verses that we read today, Paul, I think, represents what John Wesley's understanding was that the Bible knows nothing 
of a solitary religion. And so Paul outlines for us what I believe are so, some important and some vital principles for the church. And so let me see if I can draw these out and explain these to you in my remaining time. First of all, to be a healthy church, we must appreciate our individual worth. In other words, we must have an appreciation of our worth, our own worth, individual worth, in the body of Christ. Now, Paul actually puts this in a, in a negative sense in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, I think there are probably three positions here. The middle position is the one we're looking for, where we think with sober judgment. We think of ourselves, and we understand, and we appreciate our, our worth and our value with sober judgment. That's the middle position. That's the healthy position. The one extreme, though, is to be high-minded, and the other extreme is to be low-minded. And we don't need any of those. We need to stay away from the extremes. So the critical question that we must ask is not, how can I shine when we consider our individual worth? How can I shine, but how can I serve? How can I serve? Because in an exaggerated sense, an exaggerated sense of self-worth is looking for a place to shine. Sober judgment is looking for a place to serve. Now, some of you may know this, but there was a man that is, that is mentioned by John in his third general epistle, 3 John, verse 9. And uh, he, this man's name was Diotrephes. And John said of Diotrephes that he loves to be first. That's the way that, that John described him. Diotrephes, who loves to be first, he says, wouldn't receive me. Now, what a, what a description. You know, we don't know much about him except that he loved to be first. In fact, many years ago when I was uh, still in college, I, I remember hearing a Bible teacher and Pastor Chuck Swindoll uh, teaching on this passage. And he described Diotrephes this way. He said, Diotrephes wanted to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. He wanted all the attention to himself. He loved he loved to be first. Now, when you get a person who's high-minded, a person who wants to be recognized, he loves to be first, then there's going to be real damage done in the body of Christ. There won't be a healthy church if there are individuals who love to be first, who think very highly of themselves. But neither can there be a healthy church if people have an underestimated sense of self-worth. Because such a person might often be very negative in the way that, in the sense that they don't feel themselves to be up to an opportunity that God has given them. And so they, they see it as, a, as an obstacle. You know, Jesus tells a story about a man who divided up talents. He, he, there's a, the, the division of, of talents, of five talents, two talents, and the one talent. And uh, Jesus didn't say this, but I suspect that he probably gave more one talent deposits to people. In, in a general sense, he probably gives more one talent deposits to people than he does two talent and five talent deposits. You know, I look, and I say this, I look at the body of Christ and I see a lot of us operating on one talent. And that's good. 
That, that's, that's the way God may have determined it. In other words, there, there are not a whole lot of five-talent people. Maybe even not a whole lot of two-talent people. They're there, and we see them, and we rejoice with them. But um, a lot of us are, are working and ministering with one talent. But, and I say this because I think there's a danger. That is us to look at our one talent and say, when God was dealing talents out, He didn't give me very much. I don't have much to offer the church. And so we don't do anything because we think it's not much. I, I can't. So if I just have this one little talent, I look at this person. Oh, he's got five talents. She's got five talents. We let somebody else do all that ministry. There are more people who are qualified than I am. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's contrary to the Bible to say that you're not needed. You're needed. Of course you're needed. We're all needed to make the body of Christ complete. So Paul tells us, don't be high-minded, don't be low-minded, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Have a realistic estimate of your value and worth in the body of Christ. And he tells us that we will do this in accordance not only with the grace that is given to us, that special giftedness, but also according to the measure of faith. He has given to us. So according to the grace, the giftedness, but also according to the measure of faith, He has given to us. So if we're going to have an individual, make an individual contribution to the body, we have to look for those two things. For the grace He has given us, He has graced us with a gift, but also with the measure of, of what our measure of faith is. Because you will never exercise a ministry. You'll never make a contribution to this church or to the body of Christ in general unless you develop that faith that He has given you. It may not be much at first, but if you step out and use a gift, then your faith grows. I started playing piano at church when I was a teenager. Actually, I started taking piano lessons when I was eight years old. And many of you don't know this, but my sister Velma was my first piano teacher. And so she taught me piano for a while. And then when I, when I was a teenager, I kind of picked it up a little bit on my own, started hearing some things, you know, started trying to figure things out. Then I went to college. I took piano lessons. Uh, I was really required to take class piano. That's all as a vocal major, vocal music major. I just needed to take class piano. But my brother, uh, my late brother, who was two years older than me, was also a music major. He wanted me, he wanted me to get better. At the piano. He, I don't know if he just saw some potential in me. But he says, no, no, you need to take private lessons. Even though those aren't required. So he convinced me to take private piano lessons from a lady named Dr. Imelda Delgado Cortez. Who was a concert pianist. Very hard. She was very mean to me, guys. I'm telling you. She was very mean to me. My stomach was in knots every Tuesday when I had my piano lessons with her. I mean, I, I would get so nervous. And I practiced. I was a voice major, but I think I practiced piano more because of her. And I was, I loved my brother. But I, why did you convince me to do this? I could have had it easy. But I learned a lot. I really learned a lot in, in the, the two years. And then she wanted me to continue past the two years that I, they were required. And I was like, no, it's okay. And then I saw her when, when I was a, a junior or senior. I saw her in the hall and she came over to I'm so disappointed you didn't take piano. You're doing so well. I said, well, so I just couldn't fit it in, you know. And got my life back. But when I, was a, when I was a teenager, before all this happened, I was a teenager at the church. 
I didn't actually start on the piano. I started playing the organ. We had an organ. And so I started playing the organ at church. And the reason I picked the organ, because two reasons. I could keep the volume low. You could turn the volume down on an organ. So I would, had to pedal for the volume. I'd turn it all the way down. I'd just play softly. And, and then the other reason is I couldn't play rhythm on the piano. I, I just didn't have the coordination to play rhythm. And so with the organ, you just hold the chords down. Right, so I'm holding chords down really softly. And then that was back in the day when we had three services a week. So we had a, a, a youth service, and we had a, a different night. We had a women's service, and we had the men's service, right? And the attendance went down, you know, depending on Tuesday was a good attendance. Wednesday was less. Men, a few men would come to the men's service. And so uh, there were, men were always saying, okay, it's time for the men to rise up. You know, the lion's going to wake up and... But it was always just a few. And so I would, pray, I would play organ during the women's service and the men's service because there were fewer, it was a, a, a lower attendance. And so I thought nobody will hear my mistakes. But that's how I started playing. But after a while, you know, I got a little more courage and I'd raise the volume a little bit. Uh, I didn't have much faith to use my gift. I didn't have much faith. That's why I chose the organ to keep it soft. That's why I played only during the the services that were that had less attendance didn't have much faith but what i had i used and eventually my faith grew and as my faith grew i moved from the pian- from the organ to the piano and i was still I, you know i still kind of lacking in faith i didn't think i was very good and it was my sister one time velma who told me uh, i don't know why you don't want to play you do a good job and i was like oh and it and encouraged me you know and my faith grew even more and so Whatever faith you have to use a gift, it may not be much, but step out and use it, and then your faith will grow to use it even more. You know, when I first began pastoring, um, an area that I needed to have faith for was in conducting funerals. I remember thinking, uh, I've never conducted a funeral. I've seen my dad do it. You know, my dad was a pastor, but it kind of made me nervous, and it honestly, it scared me a little bit. It scared me a little bit. I never performed a funeral, a memorial service. In fact, I had never visited a person in the hospital that was dying. I had no faith for that. No faith for that. And I didn't feel like I had any grace for that. But the first person to pass away, the very first year we planted this church, the first person to pass away was my brother, Osiel. That year. We started having services, planted the church in July. And in November, at the age of 32, he passed away. It was a shock to all of us and very painful. I didn't conduct that funeral, but my faith for ministering to families in that situation began to take root. It began to take root even as we met with the funeral director at Johnson's Funeral Home that time. We met with him and we're still in shock, but I, I began to see some things and how things were done. And, and uh, just going through that, my faith and being able to minister to people in that situation began to take root. So we need to offer the talent that we have to God. God has not called you to be a critic. God has called you to work for Him. The fact is you have something. You have something to offer the church. Every one of you here today has something to offer the church. So that's the kind of judgment we should have. A sober judgment of our individual worth. The second thing to be a healthy church is this. We must each use our unique unique gifts. 
We must each use our unique gifts, not only in awareness of our worth to God and to the body of Christ, but also the fact that we're unique. Verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You know, when we were born physically, we got physical abilities, right? Certain abilities, and as we grew, we developed these abilities more and more. When we're born spiritually, when we're born again, we get spiritual abilities, spiritual gifts. Now these gifts may coincide with the natural talents or they may not. But nonetheless, these are abilities that God has given us to be used in the church. These are abilities that God has given us to be used in ministering to other people. And we're not all alike. We're not all like one another. Our gifts are not the same. In fact, Paul goes on to say that although we form one body, we all belong to one another. And he lists for us different gifts in the following verses. And we read these verses. He lists for us different gifts which strengthen the body. The the gifts of uh, prophecy, service, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, mercy. To the Corinthians, he lists... These and, and other gifts as well. And so there are many more that could be added to this list. But this is, I believe, representative that there are the kinds of things that bring us as a body together. These are the kinds of things that glue and cement the body of Christ in relationships and in health. And so we all find ourselves filling different roles. And all these roles are needed. All these roles are necessary. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 5, we see the story where, where Peter is going along. Peter is going along and, and, and people are being healed not only in ordinary ways. And I say ordinary, like having, you know, yeah, their hands being laid, laying on of hands, maybe anointing with oil. They were being healed that way. But also... There was so much faith when Peter was around that they were placing people in the shadow of Peter, in Peter's shadow, and they were being healed just by being in his shadow. Now, there's nothing in the scripture that says that that's representative, that that's the way we should do this now, and we should look to have a shadow ministry. I want to have a shadow ministry. I wonder if the other apostles, John and the other apostles, felt that way. They didn't have a shadow ministry. How come... Peter gets a shadow ministry. What do I get? God left. He left us out. You know, they, we don't see that they that they complained about that or they say, you know what? We're going to we're going to go into the prayer closet. We're going to fast. We're going to pray until God gives us the same shadow ministry. He's given Peter, you know, and, and, it, and really it makes me think of great preachers, even in the history of the church. If you read church history, there have been great Preachers that were used by God in, in various ways. Men who would pray for people and those people would be healed. In fact, sometimes those people would fall under the power of God. They'd fall under the power of God. But then we see other preachers who came along that didn't have the same anointing. And, and when they prayed, nobody fell. So they resorted to pushing people. It's so unfortunate when I see that. They resorted they resort to pushing people because they wanted that ministry They wanted to to have the ministry that somebody else had. It's because we don't appreciate our unique gifts. You don't need the ministry somebody else had. It may have been a one-time thing. There's no ministry to push people and they fall. It may have been, and and these 
preachers of old weren't necessarily, I mean, they weren't pushing people. They're just praying. People are just falling under the power of God. So let God be God and you do what he wants. How many of you know the story of Dorcas in Acts chapter 12? Dorcas was a, a lady who made garments. She made garments. I wonder if anybody in the church said to her, Dorcas, this is great. You're making garments. That's nice. That's sweet. But maybe you should be sewing less and praying more. Let God give you a real ministry. Not, not sewing. Let him give you a real ministry like preaching and the shadow ministry and pushing people down. I don't know if they said that, but just being silly to, to make the point. You know, we, we do people wrong if we try to make Martha's out of Mary's and Mary's out of Martha's and John's out of Peter's. And you know, Let God be God. Because here's, here's a very important point. If we don't use our unique gifts to serve God, then that makes for gaps in the ministry. That makes for gaps in the ministry. And that makes for an unhealthy church. Oftentimes we think, well... If I don't use my gift, God will raise somebody else. Well, he may or he may not. You know, we don't, we can't tell God what to do or expect him. He's going to do what we just expect him to do. It's not like, you know, when, when Jonah was called to the Ninevites, and the first time Jonah refused to call, he went a separate way. God didn't say, well, Jonah didn't go, I'll call somebody else. No, God went after him because God wanted him to go to Nineveh. So if you don't use your unique gifts to serve God, then you're allowing for gaps in ministry, and that makes for an unhealthy church. 1 Peter 4.10 reads like this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God's grace is needed in its various forms. That's why we all have unique gifts. Which brings us to the last point, and that is this. To be a healthy church... We must have a strong bond of unity. A strong bond of unity. Verse 5 says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's unity. One body, and each member belongs to all the others. We take that individual sense of, uh, of worth that God has given us. We take that individual uniqueness, and we bring it all together and we're, we're bonded to one another in a body called the church. The church. We're not meant to be theater seat participants and just come out and, and see a show and then leave. We're meant to be connected to each other throughout the week. And I believe that the most important ministry occurs in, in this church, not just when we meet together, but when we, when we connect to each other throughout the week. And I'm, of course, I'm not undervaluing the ministry of what's going on right now, our worship service, our, our worship time together, the preaching of God's word. But I'm just saying the vital ministry where our needs are touched and, and, and are met are often on a one-to-one basis or in a smaller setting because there's a strong bond of unity right there. So there's a difference between being an audience and being the church. Between being an audience and being the church. We don't build a sense of unity by being an audience. Do you feel unity with somebody that you're sitting next to when you go to a theater or go watch a movie just because they're sitting there? We don't, we don't uh, build a sense of unity only by being an audience. We build a bond by being the church and by exercising our gifts and our uniqueness. Now, who would you say is more united? 
a winning football team or the fans that cheer them on? I would say the team. The team is, is more united because they're in the trenches. They're playing together. They're united. They're working together. This is a, a, a kind of an odd image if you don't know this. But for those of you who, who follow football, and I haven't seen this lately. I don't even know if it's still done. But I know uh, in the past I would see NFL football teams. These are grown men, like giants in some cases, really huge men. And uh, they get in the huddle, the offensive huddle, for, offensive huddle, for example. They get in the huddle, and as, as they're calling the play, they're holding hands. I used to see this a while back. I'm thinking, that's interesting. But there's just a bond. There's just a, a sense of unity. And so there's a, let me finish with this. There's a great difference between unity and union. Right now we have union in the sense that we're all together in one place at one time. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we have unity. Just because you get people together doesn't mean you've got unity. God wants unity in the body. And how does a body get unity? How does our body get unity? How do my hands work together when I want to grab something? How do my feet work together when I want to move forward? How does a body get unity? By taking direction from its head. The body, the members, the, the parts of our, body, of our body must be responsive to the head. And who is the head of the body? The Christian body, the church? Obviously, it's the Lord. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. So what does Jesus want? What does God want? What does the Lord want? He wants to exalt the name of the Father. And He wants to make disciples. He wants to save the lost. He wants to serve human need and, and reach them for his kingdom. So that's really what, what, as we read the scriptures, the gospels, what Jesus wanted to do. And I believe this is what the church is for. We're to make disciples through teaching, through fellowship, reaching out in evangelism. But we become united and we cooperate as we take direction from the head. If you've ever been a part of, uh, in fact, let me ask, how many of you when you were in school were a part of a music performance group like band, choir, or orchestra. Any of you? Let me see your hands. Some of you? Okay, wow, there's several. All right, then you know the importance of watching and responding to the conductor, right? How important it is. One of the most basic things that when I, I taught uh, middle school choir, and my wife and I are both trained in choral music. Uh, in fact, we met as uh, freshman music majors in college. And one of the most important things that we teach the young students, and hopefully by the time we get to high school, they, they know this, is just, it's real simple. Watch the director. Don't look behind me and, and see what's going on. I, I tell them, if something's going on back there, as long as it isn't dangerous, you watch me. Because they've got to learn to respond. And of course, the older students, the high school students, and even higher, they know how to respond to, to every little move the conductor makes. Conductors aren't up there just waving their hands. You know, in, in any kind of pattern. But there's a specific pattern. There's a specific response to every movement that the conductor makes. And so belonging to the body is essential. It's not an elective. You can't say, I've decided, you know, I haven't decided whether I'm really going to be committed to a church. You know, if you're a Christian, the very nature of that means you will be committed to the church. And so the parts of the body are meant to serve each other and thereby 
and serving each other, serve others as we respond to the head, which is Jesus Christ. You know, God has a plan for a healthy church. I want to tell you, and we'll talk some more about this in this series, but I want to tell you this morning, accept your worth <coughs> Excuse me, in the body. You are important. You do have something to offer. Accept your uniqueness and accept and be part of the unity in the body itself. Can you imagine what this church would be like? I'm talking now about our local church. I'm talking about Solid Rock Church. Can you imagine what this church would be like if we all understood and appreciated our individual worth? Can you imagine what kind of church we'd have if we all used our unique gifts and if we all had a strong sense of unity? I think we'd be a church that would continue to make an impact in this community, continue to reach people for God. But just as importantly, I think we'd have a church of healthy individuals. And when we have healthy individuals who find their worth in serving God, when we have healthy individuals who are able to overcome their, their depression and their anxiety but by discovering how important they are to God and to the church, then we'll have a healthy church that makes an impact in our community. So I challenge you, accept your worth. If you've never taken the time to, to discover your, your unique ability, your, your talents, your skills, and determine you're going to do that. And with our help as a church, you can do that. Because that's one of the things we want to do is to help you discover your unique calling. We create a bond of unity and we make a big impact in our community.